0: Today's message is called Get a Grip, Agrippa. All right, we're gonna be in Acts 25. We're actually gonna go all the way through 25 and 26. So we're doing both chapters. Now, before you go like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna to have to listen to two chapters of scripture, that's not how we're doing it. So don't stress out. We're not, I'm not gonna do that to you. But we are gonna cover a lot of ground in terms of the amount of passages we cover tonight. Just a few of them will be brought out and highlighted. And before we do that. I would like for john to come up and pray us in god thank you for the stay. thank you for our lives god i thank you for all you've done for us and allowing us to gather here together uh god we pray for the ukrainians right now um with all the issues that they're having with russia <clears throat> god we pray uh, for their safety and that they get to poland or wherever they're fleeing safely um god we thank you that um We are safe here in America, and I I pray that that continues to be true. Uh, God, we thank you for all you've done for us, and I pray that today the message would be uh, appropriate for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, that's a pretty good segue into the first thing I want to talk about because we have a a special prayer request that I want to bring to everyone's attention right now. Um, One of our own, one of the families that attend Steeples Church, Um, Travis and his wife, Ina, she is from the Ukraine Um, and things are very, very bad for her family right now. Um, And I'll give you a, for example, we're going to watch a quick video. It's really short, it's only 14 seconds long, but her family has had to abandon their home, uh, their homes, all different family. Um, Last, or night before last, they took shelter in the mountains, literally, trying to get to Poland, um, which normally is like a five hour drive, but I don't know if you've seen the news. The freeways are just a mass of vehicles trying to get out. Um, they, it, Travis has sent me a, a bunch of videos. Um, the train station where there's still some trains that are operating where the tracks haven't been blown up. Um, there's just thousands of people trying to get on trains to get out of the cities. And um, life is very, very, difficult there right now. Um, Ina has a flat she keeps in a little town just outside of Kiev, if I understand the geography correctly. It's gone, decimated, destroyed, blown up. Um, I'm gonna play this quick little video. This was shot by one of Ina's cousins, literally like from the road where they were trying to get out. Um, This is what they saw as they were trying to get to the mountains the other night. So that's the reality of what the Ukrainians are dealing with right now. It's, it's, a, real, it's a real war. Um, so I want to pray for them. I know John just did. I want to pray for them again specifically and in his family. So Father, um, from everything we can see, everything we can see that the Ukrainians are innocent in this and they are being attacked uh, by not just a hostile force, but a very, very powerful one. Lord, the only way that these families, these soldiers, these people survive this conflict is if you intervene. So we pray, Lord, that you would intervene, that you would keep um, specifically Ina's family safe, that you would keep um, her loved ones safe, that you would that you would keep all of the Ukrainians, especially those who love you, Lord, keep them safe. But even those who don't, Lord, give them more time to come to know you um and lord i also pray and this may sound odd to some of you but i also pray for putin that his heart would be melted that he would change his direction that he would turn away from this behavior this this evil that he is perpetrating on the ukraine um and i pray lord that this conflict would cease in jesus name amen all right so we're now going to do uh the lord's supper you know uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he had a conversation with his disciples, and he talked about what was going to come. He literally told them, "Hey, I'm I'm about to die." And they were still trying to wrap their heads around it. They really didn't quite get it. But Jesus said a couple of things. The first thing he did is he picked up the bread and he he said, "When you break bread, remember that my body was broken for you." And as I think about Jesus, he is his life was so unique because he was both fully god and fully man right and that's kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around how can you be fully god and fully man and how does that work well first i want to talk a little bit about some of the things he did as a man they were not necessarily miraculous okay they were they were not things that were supernatural in nature but he did some amazing things just by talking he Clarified the heart of God to so many people in so many ways that really were pretty countercultural, especially in his era. So, for example, even though men and women have different stations in life, it's really clear in the gospel that the value of a man and the value of a woman are equal, right? That they are the same, the value is equal. That was a radical idea at the time. Jesus also taught us that um, regardless of your age, it doesn't matter whether you're a senior citizen, whether you're an adult, whether you're a child, the value of a human life is the same, right? The value is equal. Uh, He taught us that all races, all cultures, all nationalities, you may have a, a different color skin, you may look different, your hair might be a different color, but the value of your life in God's eyes is equal, right? Um, Even within the body of Christ, it doesn't matter whether God has called you to be a pastor, whether he has called you to be merciful, whether he has called you to be a prayer warrior. It doesn't matter. All human life, all of his followers are equal in value. And I think one of the ones that their culture really struggled with, and sometimes I think our Culture struggles with too is the idea that it doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you come from. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're a person of influence or a person who has very little influence. Your value in God's eyes are equal, okay. And so, one of the first things I want to do is we take the bread right now. So if you have your bread, go ahead and get it ready. Um, is remember that Jesus taught us, as he was fully man, that we are all equal in his eyes. You may take the bed. I apologize before I take my wine. I have to take a little sip of water. Because all the moisture in my mouth is gone. So, fully man, yeah, but he was also fully God, right? And that looked different to us. Um, And we can easily, I think, recognize how Jesus was fully God. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the sick, right? He raised people from the dead. He walked on water, which I think is just super cool, right? And he didn't even walk on like calm flat water. He walked on I don't know how you keep your balance when there's waves, but he was able to do it. Um, and then of course, he himself was raised from the dead. And we should be really, really happy about that because if he wasn't raised from the dead, neither would we be. So let's remember, because he said, when you take the cup, remember how I shed my blood for you. And it's his blood that was shed in his resurrection three days later that gives us the ability to remember him and honor him. So you may now take the cup. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice you made that you let your body be broken. They didn't break it without your permission. You allowed it to happen for us. And that you shed your blood willingly for us. I can't even imagine what that was like, that you took the sin of the entire world on yourself, but you did. And we are thankful to you, Lord, and we remember you today. We remember your sacrifice today. And it's that sacrifice that drives us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and get into today's lesson. Um, You'll notice there's a pair of shoes. Some nice shoes, or at least expensive-looking shoes, on the uh, on the screen right now. I had a uh, an interesting experience at the airport. I was flying out, uh, so I was at uh, Love Field, and I'm getting ready to go. And I'm in the security line. And for those of you who know me, you know that one of the things I'm not good at is being quiet. I'm just that's just not my forte. I really like to talk to people, and sometimes. I'll just intentionally try to start a conversation. Well, the only person I could really talk to because of the way the line was set up was the person behind me, right? Cause I can't, it's not like I can walk up, you're supposed to social distance. So I couldn't walk up to people in front of me. So I kept turning around to the guy behind me trying to make eye contact and he, and he wouldn't make eye contact. But you can't really talk to somebody if they don't make eye contact. And I don't necessarily think he was trying to avoid me. Um, he just didn't make eye contact. So it kind of became a challenge. Um, and so I, I kept thinking, okay, how am I gonna break the ice? How am I gonna have a conversation with this person? And it turns out as we finally, we go through security and we're going through the, the part where they actually x-ray your bag. The, my bags came out um, and I was waiting for my stuff to get shuffled down and his come out. Well, he, I noticed he had some really nice shoes on, expensive shoes. And one of them got kicked out on the conveyor belt. And so the TSA agent, his the little bucket had moved about 10 feet down the line and the TSA guy picks up the shoe and throws it like into the bucket like 10 feet away. So now the guy's kind of standing over here behind me and I'm like, wow, those are awfully nice shoes to be throwing around. And the guy's like, yeah. And now I had my in. So now I'm having a conversation and that, kind of morphed into, oh man, I wish I could wear really nice shoes, but because of my knees and my ankles, I have to wear these dress shoes that are really tennis shoes. They're just black. They kind of look like dress shoes. So I've broken the ice with the guy. We have a conversation. So now I'm kind of proud of myself, right? I, I got what I wanted and say goodbye, fly safe, and we go our separate ways. So I go and I get my soda and then God says, you need to invite him to church. Okay. So um, I see him and he's sitting at a table. He's got his laptop hooked up and and I walked up and because I had broken the ice with him, I was able to walk up and say, hey, I know this sounds a little odd. I'm only going to bother you for like 10 seconds, but I really feel like I'm supposed to invite you to our church. And I hand him a business card and he goes, he goes wow, this is so funny that you would say this. We just moved, me and my family just moved to Dallas and we're looking for a church right now. And so it was a quick conversation. I handed him our card, and I said, hey, if you have have any questions, check us out, fly safe. And I left. But making that connection with another human being can be powerful. You never know, even in a really short period of time, even in an airport, what you might accomplish for God if you're listening, right, if you're paying attention. So that's, hopefully, I think that'll lend itself well to today's story, and we're going to get started on that. So if you remember last week, uh, Paul had been under the uh, custody of Felix. Well, this week we're talking about Festus, all right? Felix has been moved on. Paul's been in custody for two years, and Festus has taken over as governor, okay? So... About three days after Festus takes over, he uh, he goes to Jerusalem, and he's kind of checking out his new territory, and he's talking with the Jews, and by the way, I'm in Acts 25 right now, I'm just paraphrasing, okay? So if you're trying to follow along, that's where I am. So if you remember, the Jews have been trying to kill Paul, and they're really hoping that they can get a shot at him, but he's been in custody, so they haven't been able to get to him. So Festus goes and he um, talks to the Jewish leaders, he goes to Jerusalem and he's talking to everybody and they try to convince him that Paul needs to be sent back to Jerusalem. And the reason they do that is because if you remember, they have a whole bunch of assassins who are like ready to pounce. They're hoping to get him out on the open road and kill him, quite frankly. That's why they want him to come back to Jerusalem. It's not to stand trial, it's so that they can murder him. But Festus doesn't have any of that. Although at this point, I don't think he realizes exactly what's going on. He's like, hey, that's not the way this works. Um, If you guys want to charge Paul with something, you need to come to my court and you need to bring charges against him. So he says, hey, in a a few days, I'm going back. If you want, send your your best people with me and you can bring charges against Paul. And that's exactly what they do. And the truth is he wants to, he, Festus, he wants to gain some favor with the Jews, Mm -hmm. right? Jerusalem's part of his territory. Jerusalem, obviously, is primarily Jewish, and he wants to gain the favor of the people that are underneath him. He doesn't doesn't want a bunch of troublemakers. If, If he can create some kind of a relationship, whether it's out of fear, whether it's via bribes, whatever that relationship is, if he can have some control over the Jews, that's better for him. Make sense? So that's what Festus is trying to do, and the Jews, of course, are trying to get to Paul. And what happens is the Jews do come and they uh, they do bring all these charges against Paul. They bring all this crazy... If you remember last week, they brought a whole bunch of stuff against him. These are a whole bunch of new charges. This is a whole bunch of new trumped up stuff. No, no political pun intended. It's all trumped up stuff. None of it's true. None of it's real. To the point that Festus is even like, really? I mean, this is what you're... Because in that culture, you had to have witnesses. You couldn't... It wasn't like beyond a reasonable doubt. It was like if you don't have witnesses, I can't, I can't make any of this stick. So Festus can't stick any of this stuff to Paul, and he's like, okay, this is not going to work. This is, I, I'm not even, I'm not even going to put this guy on trial for these charges because obviously they're not. If the, even if they are true, you don't have any witnesses. We can't prove. You guys can't prove any of this stuff. So he goes to Paul, and he's he still wants favor from the Jews. He still would like. To figure this out. So he goes to Paul and he says, hey, these Jews have all this stuff against you. Why don't you just go to Jerusalem and let them charge you? Obviously you're innocent and you'll be fine. He tries to talk Paul into going to Jerusalem. And Paul's like, yeah, no. Um, first of all, Paul knows, right, that they're going to try to kill him if he does that. And he also knows that God's plan is to send him to Rome, right? And so he knows his ultimate future is in Rome and at this point, he says, no, I'm not gonna do that. And by the way, I'm not trying to avoid execution. I'm not trying to get out. If I've done something wrong, I will I will face the consequences, but I haven't done anything wrong. So I'm not gonna do that. Oh, and by the way, I want to appeal to Caesar. Now what that really meant is kinda of like us appealing our case all the way to the Supreme Court. That's kind of what he's doing in that culture. Um, You had, if you were a Roman citizen, you had the right to appeal to Caesar. Now, Caesar didn't have any rules. Caesar could do whatever he wanted. There was definitely danger in appealing to Caesar, even if you were innocent, because if Caesar didn't like you, you'd be like, yeah, cut his head off, right? I mean, but Paul knows ultimately that that's his audience. And so he appeals to Caesar. And at this point, Festus really doesn't have a choice. He kind of has to send Paul Caesar because Paul's a Roman citizen. So after a couple days, he's still in custody. They haven't sent him off yet. A couple of interesting folks arrive in town and they're in Caesarea by the way. And the two people who arrive in town are King Agrippa and Bernice. And if you read the text, you might think, since it's a king and a lady, you might think, oh Bernice must be his wife. It's not, it's actually his sister. Okay, Bernice is Agrippa's sister. And if you remember last week, we talked about Felix and a lady named Drusilla. You remember that? Okay, Drusilla is Bernice's sister, okay, who's married to the governor. So we have a politically connected family. And the other sister, Bernice, is married to King Agrippa. Now, not king of Rome or something like that, if you're not familiar with his territory, he was king of Judea, right? So he's king over the area where Jerusalem is in Judea, okay? So he's a Jew. Remember last week we found out that Drusilla was a Jew and wanted to hear this thing about Jesus and then got all freaked out? Well, this is her sister and brother, okay? Now, I just wanna make it clear, uh, this uh, This is Agrippa II by the way. Um, not a nice guy. In fact, he's the one who eventually has the Apostle James executed. So King Agrippa is not a good guy just kind of for context as we go through the story. But Festus tells the king. King shows up. He doesn't know anything about Paul. He doesn't know Paul's there or anything. But Festus tells him, hey, I've got this guy in custody. Felix left him here. And I'm kind of like not sure what to do with this guy. You know, we've had him in custody forever, um, but I can't really charge him with anything. And he tells King Agrippa the whole story. And Agrippa's like, well, I want to talk to him. So, of course, Festus brings Paul before the king. If you remember, God's promise to Paul was, you're going to speak to the Jewish leaders, right? You're going to talk to priests. You're going to talk to governors, kings and ultimately, right, the emperor. So so here's another one of God's promises being fulfilled, which is kind of cool. And Paul is brought before King Agrippa. And, you know, one one of the funniest passages, I think, in that whole story is, at one point, Festus says, yeah, I don't really understand what the Jews are accusing him of, but Paul says there's this guy named Jesus who's still alive, and the Jews say he's dead. So just kind of interesting how this whole thing goes. But now understand Festus, not a Jew. He doesn't get the context. Agrippa is a Jew. He gets it. He understands what's going on. And he certainly knows the story of Jesus, right? He doesn't believe in Jesus, but he certainly understands. So Agrippa's like, yeah, I want to meet this Paul. And that's what happens. So the next day, um, King and Bernice show up. A lot of pomp, all the big, you know, lots of trumpets and fanfare and all that kind of stuff. You would expect a lot of, well, they, they think a lot of themselves, right? And so all the important people in town, everybody shows up in the court, not the courtroom, but the court like of the palace. And, um, and Festus, of course, introduces the king and he introduces Bernice. Um, and then he, he, the king, says, Paul, you, could, you just go ahead. You can speak for yourself. And Paul starts this dialogue with the king. Um, and that's pretty interesting because that wasn't super common. You don't usually get to talk to the king, but Paul did. And so Paul starts out and he says, hey, regarding all these things which I'm accused of by the Jews... I consider myself fortunate that I get to talk to you today. You, king, because he's Jewish, right? And he says, especially because you're an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. I know you get it. I know that you know what I'm talking about, and that's helpful for me because I'm going to tell you a story. And he starts out by telling him, him, the king, he start, Paul talk, starts out by telling him, hey, this is who I was right? I was a Pharisee. And not only was I a Pharisee, I was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a super Pharisee. Okay. That's John's words, not the Bible's words, but I was like a super Pharisee and I did all these things. I was zealous for God. Um, not only that, I didn't believe this thing about Jesus either. Right. I thought that was nonsense. And so I was chasing these Christians down. Right. I was, I was hunting them down. I was throwing them in prison. And if they came up, uh, To trial, are we going to spare their lives or are we going to put them to death? I cast my vote against them. So this is Paul saying, I tried to kill as many Christians as I could. Okay? And then he says, and not only that, but I pursued them from town to town, which is really a perfect segue into the story of the road to. Damascus. Okay, we're going to get there in just a second. But one of the things he says in verse 8, I think is just so on point. He says, why is it considered incredible among you people if God raises the dead? It's one of the things he asked the king, and that's that's a pretty direct and bold question to ask the king, but I think it's a really good question for us to consider. Because I know the truth is that a lot of people that we talk to who aren't Christians— They struggle with the idea that someone was raised from the dead, right? But why? Why is that such a big deal? He's God. If he really is God and God really created us and he created the stars and he created all this stuff, would this really be hard? If I can create a human being from nothing, is it hard for me to take a dead human being and make him a living one? Doesn't seem like it would be, right? If I'm God and Paul's asked that of the king, he goes, why is this such a big deal? Why are you so averse to the idea that God would raise someone from the dead? And of course he's referring to Jesus. All right. So back to Paul, he, he has this perfect segue into the story of the road to Damascus. He says, Hey, I was pursuing them from town to town. And then let me tell you about the encounter I had with Jesus. Right? And he tells the story, and most of us know the story, especially if you've been with us through the book of Acts. We uh, we spent a lot of time on the story. The bright light comes, he hears the voice, he's blinded, right? He tells King Agrippa the whole story of his encounter with Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Why tell him that story? Because it's his testimony. This is the... Okay, King Agrippa, this is who I was before I met Jesus. Now, let me tell you how I met Jesus, which is the perfect lead into, and now let me tell you how my life has changed. And so after he tells him the story of the road to Damascus, um, he's going to lead into, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why the Jews are so upset with me because I'm so zealous about, who I am now after I've encountered the living Jesus. And this really leads me to a question for you to consider for yourselves. If I ask you right now to give me your testimony, could you do it? If, even if it was just one-on-one, just me and you, right? I'm not ask, saying, could you stand up in front of the group or could you get on the camera and do it? But if we were just sitting you and me together and I said, hey, tell me your testimony. Could you do that? And if you could, do you think you would do it well? All right, just something to think about. One of the passages, not in Acts, that I want to bring your attention to is in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter 3, and it's verses 8 through 15. And verse 8 starts out, it says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Not returning evil for evil, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called to the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evil doers and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed and do not fear their intimidation and not do not be in dread. This is the one we all Remember, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone and anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But with gentleness and respect. So what is happening in that passage is he's saying, hey, always be prepared to tell people why you follow Jesus. Why do you have hope? Why When adversity comes and you have hope that the rest of us don't have, why is that? That's your testimony, okay? And that's exactly what's uh, being talked about there in 1 Peter, and that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And, And Paul goes on, again, to say, this is why I'm sharing the good news. This is why I'm going town to town. This is why I've been telling everybody about Jesus because I've had an encounter with him. My life has been radically changed. I'm a new man. And so, I am zealous to share Jesus now. And he uses the word continually. I am continually telling people about Jesus, which is kind of my next question for you to consider. Because some of you are sharing Jesus and some of you do it well. Are you doing it continually? Are you sharing Jesus continually, like all the time? Or maybe sometimes. Or maybe never, right? That's something for you to think about for yourself. But Paul says, hey, this is why the Jews are trying to kill me, right? Because I, I'm being, I've called, been called to share Jesus with the Jews. I've been called to share Jesus with the Gentiles. And nothing's going to get in my way. I'm going to do it. And at this point, Festus, the governor, interrupts Paul. He actually, like in a loud voice, he totally interrupts Paul at this point. He says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. That's actually what he says to Paul. That's that's a quote. And Paul said, I'm not insane. Most excellent, Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking out with truthful and rational words. Now watch what he does. For the king knows about these matters. Kind of puts Festus in his place. He says, oh, you think I'm insane? King doesn't think I'm insane. Which is kind of fun, I think. Right, because that's kind of something I have a tendency to do. A little bit confrontational from time to time. And so, Paul does that. He says, hey, king doesn't think it's insane. On the contrary, um, I'm speaking to him with confidence. Because none of this stuff has escaped his notice. Everything I'm telling you, he understands. And then he turns to King Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, do you, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Right? And Agrippa, at this point, this is an interesting, and this is a quote, says, in a short time, you're going to persuade me to make a Christian of myself. So King Agrippa is literally saying, wow, you're pretty persuasive. Like, you're making an awfully good argument. Now, I don't mean to be a, uh, what they call it when you let the cat out of the bag? A, uh, you know, you tell somebody about the movie too early, um, tell them about the end. I, I don't think we're going to see Agrippa in heaven. Just, I'm just saying but he's got the king's attention, okay? And that leads me to my next question for you to consider. When you do talk about Jesus, are you so passionate about how Jesus has affected your life that people are persuaded by what you say? Do you have that effect on people? Now, some of you might be saying, okay, yeah, but this is Paul. I don't know if you know this or not. Paul was not an eloquent man. He was not a great speaker. He was not a good orator. In fact, Scripture makes it clear. He kind of wasn't a good speaker. And he wasn't handsome. And he wasn't charismatic. He came from a place of a more difficult spot to be able to talk to people because he wasn't pretty and he wasn't a good talker and yet he's one of the most prolific evangelists ever to hit the earth. And I think that should give us confidence because it's not about being pretty and it's not about being eloquent. It's about being passionate about the God who saved us, about the God who loves us, and about the God who gives us purpose every single day. So at this point, Agrippa and Festus, they kind of go, they have a private conversation, and they both agree. We should let this guy go. We should just cut him loose. But we can't, because he's appealed to Caesar. Our hands are tied now, now we have to send him to Caesar. So Paul, of course, doesn't overhear that conversation, but do you think if he had, that he'd be like, oh, if I would just not appealed to Caesar, I could have been free. Do you think that's what he would have been thinking? No way, no way. Paul knew this is all part of God's plan. God's got this figured out. I don't really like the jail part, but this is the circumstances that God's using to get me in front of Caesar. I don't think Paul would have changed this rule. I think that we would have said, hey, just kind of withdraw your, you know, your appeal to Caesar and we'll let you go. I think Paul would have said, no way I'm going to Rome. So I had a, an interesting thing happen this week. Um, in fact, some of you saw a Facebook post that I put out. I had an amazingly great morning the day I went to Vegas. Um, and then I just told you I had that kind of encounter in the airport. Well, the week didn't get worse. It got more and more incredible. It was it was a really God-filled week, which was really fun for me. Um, he just kept showing up over and over. Well, one of the things that happened is, of course, here at home in Dallas, we had an ice storm. And I was supposed to fly in via Southwest to DAL, which is Love Field. And so I'm scheduled to fly home on Wednesday and I get the text message from Southwest saying, sorry, your flight's canceled. You need to book a new flight. And so um, I went online and, and I booked a flight, but it was a really terrible flight. So I had put in a call to Southwest um, and I wanted to talk to a human being to see if I could get on anything better. And it was uh, one of those, well, will just, uh, you keep your place in line, we'll call you back kind of deals on the automated service. So I did that and they would call me. And then when I would pick up, it would just hang up over and over. This goes on for hours. Like I don't, I can't talk to a human being. And literally for like two hours, I would get a call like every 15 minutes and it wouldn't connect, which was a little bit frustrating, but I'm like, okay, whatever. So I ended up, I had a meeting with this particular individual who works for an organization in my industry that's just really prestigious, super powerful, for me as a speaker, that's where, that's kind of the ultimate speaking gig I can get, okay? So like if you're a singer and you wanna sing at Carnegie Hall or wherever that awesome place is, this is a place I really wanna get a speaking engagement. And they have like four events a year, but the one in the spring is the big one. And all the big customers in our industry, which is really what I'm hoping for, because that's my day job, um, those are the folks I wanna get in front of, because it's just a really good audience to have. And so I'm finally getting and I've been pursuing this particular individual. He's a prospect, not a, you know, not a customer. He's he's someone I've been chasing for three years. I've been trying to get a face-to-face meeting with him for three years, and COVID messed that up. I'm finally face to face. We literally were off kind of in an alcove in the hotel. We're in, we're in a couple chairs, no one's around. I finally get my audience with him. And the phone rings and it's Southwest. And I'm like, oh. And he could see the look on my face. He goes, he goes, if you need to get it. And I'm like, what's the airline? He's like, no, no, no. I, got, I have a couple emails I need to do. Go ahead and take your call. So I take the call. I talk to Southwest and it actually connects. And I talk to a human being and I'm able to book a much better flight. Now I'm scheduled for Thursday to get home. It's still Wednesday at this point. I'm scheduled for Thursday to get home. So I get off the phone. And he said, Oh, your flight canceled. And we start talking about it. He goes, I have a I have kind of a, a weird idea. You might think it's a little strange, but um, I'm in the opposite situation you're in. I'm not scheduled to go home until tomorrow night, but I just rebooked my flight. I'm going home tonight. I've actually finished my work. You're my last meeting. If you'd like, you want my room? He literally offers me his hotel room, which is at the nice hotel. I was staying off site. This is the nice convention hotel, which is really expensive. And I'm like, wow, that's, first of all, that's uniquely nice. People don't usually do things like that. He didn't need to do that. He's never met me. We've literally been face to face for the first time for like five minutes. He doesn't know me. What a nice thing to do. And I'm like, wow, I get a free hotel room. And when, you know, when it's your own company, you got to pay your own bill. It's not like somebody's reimbursing me. So I, that's awesome. So I go back, he, he said, I gotta go do some emails, whatever. I, he goes back to his room. He says, hey, when I'm ready to check out, I'll, I'll call you and we'll hook up and I'll give you the keys. And so I go back to the trade show and I run into one of my friends and I tell him the story I just told you. And he knows this guy and he goes, well, John, didn't you know? I'm like, you know what? He goes, brother, he's a Christian. And he's a he's a real Christian, like he pursues Jesus. And I'm like, I didn't know that. We didn't talk about that. We talked about speaking and you know, all this other stuff, we didn't, we didn't talk about faith. And I said, that's really cool. So later on he calls me we hook up to, to, get, to trade keys or to give me the key. And I said, hey, by the way, I found out you're a believer. So we're brothers, spawns this conversation. Now we're, we're not just business associates anymore. Now we've become friends. And he tells me about his life and I kind of tell him about my life. It was just this awesome exchange. And I'm like, you know, I just, that was such a Christian thing to do to give me the key to the room. And um, so anyways, at this point, he's like, man, I can't wait. Let's, let's make sure we keep in touch. And I've made a new friend and, and, and I've got a free hotel room. I'm feeling pretty good. And so he leaves and I go up and put my stuff in the room. And about an hour later, I get a phone call from the guy who gave me his room. He goes, I don't know why I didn't think of this. He goes, you know, we have a prayer breakfast at our spring conference, which I'd forgotten about because I haven't been there in like seven or eight years. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that now. He goes, would you like to speak at the prayer breakfast? And I'm like, yes, I would. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do a business speaking event, but now I get to go represent Jesus, which, you probably noticed, I like to talk about Jesus. I get to go give a prayer breakfast devotional at this huge event with all my potential customers there. So here's here's the long and the short of that. If my flight had never canceled, I never would have had that conversation. I never would have got the free hotel room. I never would have made a new friend. I never would have connected with my Christian brother. And honestly... I never would've gotten that speaking gig. How cool is that? And you know, the whole time I was at peace because by the time I ended up, that flight by the way canceled and then they said I couldn't get home till Saturday and the whole time I was like, it'll be fine. I don't know what God has planned, but it'll be just fine. And to close, I just want to remind us all that when adversity comes, we have a choice. We can either look at that adversary, that adversity, that trial, that difficult thing as just being bad, or we can look at it as an opportunity for God to do something great that God is doing for us. Not to us, but for us. So let's pray for that. Father, thank you that you're in control. Thank you that regardless of what our circumstances look like, you're going to use all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, thank you that a canceled flight leads to something good in my life. Thank you that Paul being locked in prison led to him being able to talk to governors, and priests and kings and ultimately to make his way to Rome. Lord, you're awesome. Thank you for always surprising us with how you turn things that look bad into good. And thank you that you love us enough to do that. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so, so what, now what? right? We've, we've learned about this passage. We've talked about this meeting that Paul had. You know, if you found out about a great new restaurant, you'd probably tell all your friends, right? Oh my God, I found this great new restaurant. You have to go check it out. If you're a Christian, you have in your possession, in your heart, the best news for every single human being that's ever walked on the earth. Is it time for you to start sharing that with other people? Or if you are, is it time to start doing it continually? What's next in your walk with Jesus? Where are you and where is God taking you? And for some of you, you don't walk with Jesus yet. So maybe that's your next step. If it is, we invite you, please reach out to us here at Steeples Church. We would love to help answer your questions and help you take your next steps. Home group leaders, now's the time. Download the call to action questions and answer them with your group. Now, this week we learned how um, God put Paul in front of a king. Um, and he got to share the gospel of Jesus with the king. Next week we're going to learn about Paul's trip. He's going to leave and he's going to head towards Rome. And we're going to be in Acts 27. And many people consider that chapter of the Bible the most exciting maybe chapter in the whole Bible. It's a great story, so don't miss it. Thank you for being part of the Steve Church family. We love you, and we'll see you next week.